Hey, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Meta Perspective. And here on this uh, podcast and YouTube channel, we're going to be discussing things like insight, awakening, the nature of reality, consciousness, phenomenology, and, and kind of everything that goes along with that, which is almost everything. It's pretty all-encompassing, but uh, you know, we will get into other subjects as they come about. And um, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, we're also on YouTube if you're listening to this on the podcast. And currently we're on Spotify. And uh, today for our first guest, we have a really awesome guest, a great guy. His name is Sean McNamara, and he's the author of Renegade Mystic, Signal and Noise, The Telekinesis Training Method. Um, and he has the website mindpossible.com. And he's done a, a ton of um, work in, in the field of, uh, I guess we can call it psychic research or phenomenology. Uh, so welcome, Sean. Thanks. Thanks, James. It's great to be here. It's really an honor to be on the first episode of your show. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're the perfect guy for it because you, you have a background in all this stuff, really. Um, so uh, I just wanted to start off, you know, with the basics. Uh, first of all, did I pronounce your name correctly? <laughs> Close enough. Yeah, it's not an easy name to pronounce. So yeah, McNamara. How do you say? Oh, okay, McNamara. okay. Yeah, Sean McNamara. Oh, yeah, terrible. I think you had it. Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> Close enough, right? Um, <laughs> so uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. And you know, you have you have written quite uh, quite a number of books, and I'm, I'm impressed because I haven't written one book myself yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, and you have a new book coming out, uh, Mindsight. Is that the name of it? Yeah, it's out. It's out. It's available. It, oh my God. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah, an so audio book, yeah, ebook, paperback. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be, for everybody listening, I'm going to be linking those books in the description. Um, but we'll note as, as we go on through the podcast, kind of what relates to what book. Um, so relating to Renegade Mystic, and that's how I first became familiar with you. Um, how did you get into all this stuff? We're talking about like meditation, psychic phenomenon, and, and kind of everything that you bring to the table nowadays. I mean, you have a pretty diverse background. Um, so how did, how did you get mixed up in, in this world? The shortest answer is my fear of death. <laughs> so when I was a kid, I had appendicitis and that, and I had a lot of pain for a few days and realized my mortality and so growing up, I was haunted by that fear of death and things happened like I had in two separate years, I had lumps removed from my chest. And when I was 25, I had heart surgery um, and other things uh, where I really thought about my own death. And I was raised as a Catholic, but that's a belief based, that's a faith based system. And I'm kind of stubborn and I like evidence and I like getting my own answers. And I was, had always been looking for a way to find my own answers. And out of college, I started thinking about training and meditation. So I joined a local Buddhist community, thinking that maybe the Buddhist path or the path of meditation, and they're not necessarily the same thing, but one way or the other, they could offer me some answers to what happens when we die. Like if some part of me continues after my physical body is gone, if I could find that out for sure, that would relieve my fear of death. Um, so that got me interested in becoming a spiritual person to find those answers. And after a few, after many years of training in a with a couple of different teachers and groups, 
I realized that um, I just learned how to be a really good Buddhist, <laughs> maybe not a good Buddhist. But, you know, I, I was really good at following that path. It's a very well-defined path. And the path that I follow is related to Vajrayana Buddhism or Tibetan Buddhism um, under uh, a couple of different teachers. Were you, did you start off with that to begin with, or did you end up there for your main? No, I started off with that. I mean, there's a set of training where you're not, you're not doing tantric meditations at the beginning, but you train and work your way up to that level. Um, but after a few years and having some really bad experiences and realizing a lot of spirituality in the United States is just a business venture, <laughs> just selling, selling these secret meditation practices, you know, I got turned off and I got hurt by it, actually by a couple of teachers. And I was really frustrated. And I, re but I realized through my frustration that even though those paths, you know, I can't, I'm not going to equate the path with the teachers. They're just human beings doing what some humans do. But the paths were good, but they didn't answer my question. And I needed to find my own way. And I remembered learning about out-of-body experiences when I was a teenager, because I found Robert Monroe's book when I was like 16 or something. And I tried it when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, but I didn't get anywhere with it. But I thought, maybe I'll try it now. I've been meditating all these years. Maybe I can apply my meditative strength to some technique for having an out-of-body experience. And I found William Buehlman's books, um, which was great because since Robert Monroe wrote his first book, Journeys Out of the Body, other books have been written, which really explain the techniques much better, in my opinion, and gave a variety of techniques to try. So I trained myself for months to have an out-of-body experience. And then I had my first one and my second. But it was just the first one. And it was only a partial separation. When I returned to my body, I was free of my fear of death. And in this, I, was, I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that some part of me is non-physical and when my body is gone that part of me will linger on in some in some way and i know it's not all of me you know we're composite beings we're we have, there's no single self we're we're brain and consciousness when the brain is gone some part of me will be gone too but some other part of me will linger and of course, there's so much evidence now through mediumship that's been looked at scientifically and ESP and all these other psychic abilities that show that there is something that occurs beyond the boundaries of the flesh. Something extends beyond that has information and personality to it. So the out-of-body experience was my gateway in to all the other things that I've experienced. Because since then, finding my freedom from being tied to any religion. So I don't see myself as belonging to any religion now, but I see myself as a spiritual person, but I mostly feel myself free to experiment and to go looking in certain areas that other people don't wanna look and to try things out. Um, you know, I used to be worried about getting enlightened or something, but if I do that, then that'll save me. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. I'm definitely nowhere close to enlightenment, but I, I'm not even sure if that really exists. Like, yeah, is yeah. one single like this is what enlightenment is. I don't I know traditions hold it up as the golden jewel at the end of the path, but I'm not sure because different traditions describe that experience differently, which is an issue. Then <laughs> it's a subjective phenomenon. But for me, I'm after experiencing everything I've experienced where I am right now, put a little 
caveat there, like subject to change, <laughs> where I am right now is that being a human being is an immense opportunity for learning and growth. And that might be the golden jewel at the end of the path, to be born in a human body with the limitations that we have. That, that's such a precious opportunity. I can learn so much that way. And in a sense, uh, exploring the psychic phenomena, especially the out-of-body experience, I sort of look, it's sort of like finding the answers at the back of the book. Like, by the way, this isn't the end of the road. Like, yeah. there's so much more than this. Don't worry about it. And I actually stopped training in the out-of-body experience because, well, one specific reason was to do the training, I'd have to leave my bed at night to go do training similar to lucid dreaming training. And I realized I only have so many years with my wife where I could lay in bed with her and experience what that is, to lay in bed with our bodies, even just sleeping, but to experience that. And here I am leaving the bed to go train, to go out of my body, to go experience something else. That something else will be there when I'm dead. So why don't I spend this time being alive and experiencing life yeah. in my body? But I can't stop myself from being curious about those other realms, and being curious about psychic phenomena and being curious about how that can affect our life in the body. Because we are connected, whether we're being psychic or not, we're just little radio towers walking around the planet Earth. And we do, we are in tune, even though we might not consciously know it, some deeper part of us is sensitive, very sensitive, and we affect each other. And I think psychic experiences or psychic training can enhance a person's creativity, can enhance their sense of well-being, can increase a sense of meaning, of control in a certain sense. And these are all psychologically healthy aspects for people to have. Um, yeah. Of course, someone can go off the deep end with it too, but generally, if someone is well-grounded, there are a lot of opportunities for enriching a person's life through exploring consciousness this way. Yeah, you had um, a really interesting, um, I don't know if it was a subtitle or something in there um, on, on Mystic Renegade that, you know, it said something about um, exploring, by exploring consciousness. And I, I, I thought that was fantastic because I, I see it the same way. Um, you know, it's like, what, you know, greater thing can you do while you're here, right? Um, but about the out-of-body experience, um, when, you know, before you started training, did you ever have one, uh, sporadically, like randomly? Well, so there was one, uh, something that happened when I was on a meditation retreat, but looking back on it, it may have been an out-of-body experience. And so on these retreats that I have been part of, we meditate for eight to 10 hours a day. So you're already in a altered state of awareness and I was taking a nap in the middle of the afternoon during a rest period and suddenly I became conscious while my body was asleep so there's that mind awake body asleep which is classical requirement for the OBE and I started feeling the energy flowing up my spine up and down up and down and I felt my sense of self curling up as if I was like one of those little roly-poly bugs like I was curling up that that curling meant I was sub curling away from my spine and curling away from my physical body. Like my consciousness or my sense of self was rolling out into itself away from the body. Well, this is while my physical body is laying down on the mattress. 
Um, and actually what followed after that, I, I just felt the, the sensation and the curling for, it could have been moments or minutes, I'm not sure. When I returned to the body and became physically awake, um, I spent a few hours in what I would call a, call a state of cessation, actually, where my mind was very clear, but it was free of any of that extra thinking we do all the time and fear, hesitation, doubt, confusion, opinions, all that stuff was gone. And it was like this profound, profound level of peace. And I think it's described in different traditions, that kind of experience. And I think some people will go looking for that in their meditation, it's wonderful. That by that evening, the wheels started turning again. <laughs> and I tried to keep them from turning. Like, oh, I wanted to hang on to this experience because I really thought, is this, is this the thing we've all been looking for? Um, but it, even with that thought, like it was an indicator that my mind was starting to repeat its patterns again, which yeah. is fine. I mean, it's, it's like, okay. So I had a taste of something um, and it was in connection with that experience that I might call an out-of-body experience. The issue with the out-of-body experience is it can happen in so many different ways. People, different people experience it differently. Um, but it's, you can't call it any one thing. You know, some people experience, and I've experienced many different ways, but where your body kind of floats away, your, you float away from your body and go somewhere. I've had it where my feet lift up first and I separate and then I go down backwards through the floor. Oh, man. Yeah. Or where there's no sense of traveling away. You're just instantly conscious in a different environment completely. Yeah, And in the beginning, I had the vibrations, the feeling of the vibrations when I would separate, but more and more as I trained, those weren't necessary, or they were very subtle and very gentle. And then there are auditory hallucinations and all the hypnagogic phenomena that can occur during that phase of awareness. So it's a multifaceted experience, which is great, because if it was just one thing, you could someone would easily turn it into a religion, a dogma, this is the right way, there is no wrong way. Earlier, you mentioned the subtitle to my book, and the subtitle is The Pursuit of Spiritual Freedom yeah. Through Consciousness Exploration. And the reason I wrote that was because I realized when I was tied to a teacher or a tradition, their main job is to keep their practices and their secrets or their teachings in a box so that it remains unchanged and can be passed through time. Like, these are the instructions. Don't change them. Don't mess around. And if anyone doesn't follow them, kick them out. Like they're not part of it. <laughs> yeah. and, and my message in that book, the title is Renegade Mystic, but I'm not describing me. I'm describing anyone out there who is bold enough to explore in their own way, find their own answers and contradict any of the rules and regulations a person would want to put on you to control you. Because once you know that all you need is a little bit of information and some effort and time, you can train yourself to experience whatever you want to, then you're free and you're a free person. Uh, yeah. Which I think is important more than ever when everyone's trying to control each other. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for, <laughs> for me, I'm, I'm one of those, um, I don't know, I don't know what you would want to call. I, I was fortunate enough to have like a bunch of different experiences um, kind of by chance, right? uh sporadically randomly um so even when i was younger i remember the first time that i had something of an obe i um i was at it was the first sleepover i ever had i was at a friend's house 
and it was in uh, first grade. Or this is the first one that was I, I remember vividly in this sense as as an OBE, and um, I remember I'm I'm falling asleep, and the next thing I remember is floating up above my body, and like I'm just watching it, and I'm like, okay, and then for some reason it took like a few seconds, and then I'm like, holy crap, that's me, <laughs> and then boom, I'm in my body, and I just I st- I was startled out of my sleep. And, but it was, it was very lucid. It was very vivid and it never left me. So even at a very young age, I was, um, cognizant of these, these different things. And I didn't, I never undermined it. And for me, having experienced that, I would, I, I never was like, oh, that was just a dream because it was as real as my waking reality. And, um, and again, I was, I was so conscious and to even say, holy crap, that's me. And then bam, back in the body. Um, and just kind of like another aside, it was actually, um, uh, have you ever, you've heard of uh, yoga nidra? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first time I, I heard about it, it was I mean, maybe like eight or nine years ago that I really heard about it. And, um, this meditation, meditation teacher did a video on it. So I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I watched the video like two or three times and then I, I went to sleep and I had the weirdest, you know, I can't, I, I don't know how to define this experience, I guess, but. Um, you know, I went to sleep and then just, I guess maybe like moments after I fell asleep, um, I, my awareness was just this point of awareness, almost like, I guess you could say above my third eye above my head. And it was literally just there and I was conscious and it was almost kind of like a time lapse, but I I was aware the whole time. And I was just looking as like in the room like just as if I was sitting up and looking straight forward and uh, and it just went on the whole time and I'm conscious, but then uh, I woke up and, you know, it was exactly just, I was actually well rested, but I was awake the whole time. It was really, really um, bizarre uh, to say the least. Um, but that, that's kind of just like a side story where I can relate to the OBE stuff. I had other um, really uh, interesting OBE stuff, but that's, uh, that's another story. Um, getting to the actual, um, Tibetan practices you did. So the, um, did they, in, in, in that, um, school of, of, of Tibetan meditation, did they ever talk about the powers or OBEs or anything like that or not at all? Not really. And there's this attitude about them. I mean, there was some discussion about it and a lot of casual discussion, like not directly from the teacher, but from senior teachers or other people in the two different groups I was part of. And it was always like shut down. Like that's just a distraction or it'll keep you from, from the path you're supposed to go on or don't, don't focus on that, which I found ironic and insulting actually because one of the teachers would sometimes hint that he had certain abilities where his family members would talk about him as if he had or his family members had certain abilities which automatically sort of put them on a pedestal and everyone's like "Ooh, wow they can do these things and meanwhile everyone else is told don't focus on that don't do that so it's like the separation yeah. of like since these people are in a position of power <laughs> and this tradition these traditions some of them are very hierarchical and very you know it's um run by men <laughs> very traditional and, um, 
so it's a way of like keeping power and control in an organization and the other one same thing like this person is recognized as a reincarnation of someone else and then he can remember texts maybe it's questionable but all these hints that he has certain abilities that no one else should really focus on that because he's special and everyone else is just regular. Yeah. And that's the problem with some of these traditions, the teacher is regarded like the guru. You're supposed to see the guru as a perfect being as a Buddha. If you can see your guru as a Buddha, then you will receive the blessings of a Buddha. This is what they say. Yeah. If you see them as an ordinary person, you won't receive any blessings. And, and it's almost, a, it is a requirement for the guru's blessing <laughs> to wake for you to become enlightened. For you to do certain practices you need someone else's permission and all these rituals and, and what happens when you realize that your teacher is actually a narcissistic person right? they have a personality disorder or if someone else they're really just hurting other people and you know stuff one of these teachers i won't say who it is but eventually things came out from a lot of witnesses a lot of victims a lot of hurt had happened so how do you continue seeing someone like that in an elevated position, like they're enlightened, that they're doing all these things that would really indicate a personality disorder or just yeah. what, what, guy, what, what humans do when they're in a position of power is they want more power and they'll take it psychologically, financially, sexually, in other ways. Yeah. I wonder yeah, if I just went off track a little bit. No, it's all right. It's, <laughs> no, it's all good, man. Yeah. Um, because there's actually that actually gets me into the idea of uh, something called the three trainings, and I don't I don't know if that's in in the um, the Vajrayana tradition or not. I I read it through uh, Dan Ingram, and I I know he's very Theravadini, uh, so maybe he got it from there. But the three trainings is um, morality, concentration, and and wisdom, which the wisdom would kind of be like insight, of vipassana kind of thing, um, or realization. And, you know, one of the problems that there is, uh, you know, is that you have, I guess you can say gurus or even spiritual teachers, and they could actually be really good in, in one of these facets and like horrible in the other. Like, so they might have done like a lot of heavy work and training and they excel in the wisdom aspect, but their morality is what is not up to par, you know. So that's a, that's a genuine uh, issue. And I guess, you know, the awakening or spiritual communities uh, that, you know, you have that. And again, a lot of people who have certain kind of personalities tend to rise to the top regardless, you know, yeah. that's just, again, whether it's a business model and they're really good at that kind of thing or, or, you know, or if they're charlatans or, or they're just really charismatic, you know? Right. Well, there's, I mean, there's in one of the, in some of these teachings, there's the, there's the, the idea that everything is an illusion and the idea of emptiness, right? Like that nothing is substantial. And that's why in a lot, in many of the teachings, especially the written teachings, they say that's why the morality is so important. Because if you really believe everything is an illusion, then you'll think you can behave in whatever way you want. And there's yeah. this idea of, the crazy wisdom teachers or these yogis who are so wild and crazy because they know everything's an illusion that they act in ways that contradict societal rules. Well, that's interesting, but it's also an easy gateway for someone with antisocial personality disorder where there's no 
concept of the rules and the laws and social constructs don't apply to someone with that disorder. They just don't see it and they have no empathy. So there's this route for people with no empathy, with no sense of rules or, or social constructs to fit that model. And they act crazy or they act abusively, but they say, well, I'm enlightened and everything's an illusion and you should be okay with this because clearly I'm more evolved than you are. And I saw that repeated over and over, not only in teachers, but fellow students trying, you know, um, and probably I fell for it too at certain points in my training, like, oh, I wonder what does this mean? And I see it not only in Buddhism or Tibetan Buddhism, but I see it in, I see it a lot in other traditions, other groups, just this idea, like when you, if you start to think about consciousness a certain way or reality, it's just, you know, if you say it's just the matrix, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's really easy to slip into narcissism. Like it's my matrix and it's my reality and it's all artificial anyway. And suddenly it's easier to really ignore other people's suffering. Yeah. Because maybe they don't think it's a matrix and they're hurting. And because you think it's all illusion, there's that lack of reaching out to help others or to see things from their perspective. So it's really, really slippery. And that's why the morality aspect is really important to keep people from going there. Yeah. You get someone like that in a position of power, it's almost automatic. They get surrounded by people who are willing to go along with it because they bind their identity to the guru's identity or the teacher's identity and then they support it and then there's this weird dynamic that happens and you see it yeah. in politics you see it in schools yeah. you see yeah. it in church yeah yeah it's uh you can call it like a spiritual trap um you know there's actually yeah and i guess you know and it happens you know just as much you know in the western and the eastern traditions you know there's all these talks about you know there's this very enlightened guru and then you find out uh there's you know first you hear stories and then you hear there's a scandal and um you know yeah it's a genuine uh i guess you can say uh part of the the spiritual path is you're going to encounter very human uh you know aspects because at the end of the day we're all human and uh you know no matter you know how much somebody claims to be enlightened or awakened, it seems that you know it's uh, it, the same things can occur. You know, mm-hmm. exactly. um, even yeah. I mean, I know there's a uh, somebody involved in the kind of contact community where you know really same kind of thing, big ego, and you know the same kind of control issues and abuse issues go on and you know on on the one hand they're excellent meditation teachers and they clearly have a grasp of some kind of spiritual knowledge in the sense where um they can kind of explain those things comprehensively and are very intelligent but you know the the morality and the emotional intelligence is uh zero (laughs) And they definitely have some some of those traits. Actually, there's a book. Um, it's called Saints and Psychopaths by oh. Bill Hamilton. And uh, you got to read that book. Uh, I think you'll greatly appreciate it. because And he even gives you a sheet uh, in, in the book. <laughs> like, th- these are the check marks, right, 
for saint and psychopath and it goes over these same kind of personality things and uh yeah. bill hamilton was a big uh like a dharma guy he was going over um i think either to i think to burma or bodh gaya and and doing all the buddhist meditation but he was a westerner and um he helped bring a lot of that stuff over to the West. And he had something I think called a Dharma seed where he would get all these uh, audio meditation recordings and stuff. Um, but that's, that's just an interesting note. Uh, yeah. But uh, getting back to some of the other stuff, uh, you know, your story and, and everything, although this is very relevant to kind of some stuff you experienced and saw, uh, and it's important for people that are, you know, spiritual seekers or tr truth seekers or people on the path of awakening to, to recognize that, you know, you got to be cognizant of these things because they happen. You know, it's not somehow in a different spiritual realm than ordinary life. You know, spirituality is life. So you shouldn't be separating and parsing out, well, this is spiritual, so it can do no wrong or, you know, there's there's nothing inherently different between spirituality and actual reality. You know, if anything, you're looking at it at a more um, in a clearer way. Um, but so you um, you had the OBE stuff, the out of body experiences, and and where'd you go from there? Well, I I wanted to start incorporating some of the stuff with my group. I had a group of friends and students I was teaching meditation to. The problem with the OBE is you can't really show it to someone. You would just be laying there <laughs> and it's, you can't, it's not a, I'm going to do it tonight. And it happens. Some people can do that, but I'm the kind of person where I have to train for weeks, do the training. And then it happens. I, I just, yeah. you know, so I thought, what else, is there something else I could learn to teach people to show them with evidence that we are more than physical. And I was so lucky because I, I think it was accidental. I was watching a lot of videos about OBEs on YouTube and the, and the near death experiences too. And I was on the International Association for Near-Death Studies, IANS channel. And it's no longer available there. But when I was there, there was a video with a woman named Shirley Black, who had several NDEs. And even in childhood, she had experienced telekinetic effects, um, which resembled poltergeists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. During her talk, she gave a demonstration. She had a little pinwheel of tinfoil inside an enclosed jar and she had her hand sort of near it giving the idea that she was sending energy or intention to it and the thing started to spin and i thought that's it and i started i saw that other people were doing this on youtube and some of them looked like i don't know if this is legit <laughs> and some of them definitely seemed like the real thing and i thought i could learn how to do this i'm going to teach myself how to do this so i, I just watched a lot of videos got whatever I whatever clues I could get from those videos what are these people doing and then applied everything I knew from my meditation training for the past many years and I got the equipment which is basically a piece of tin foil a needle an eraser and then a big glass <laughs> cover yeah and I don't remember it was weeks probably months of sitting in front of this setup for anywhere between 20 minutes to a whole hour just sitting there looking at it trying to make the little piece of tinfoil move on the needle. And, and it took so long for it to happen. And what's interesting is the night or two nights before it moved the first time for me, I was laying down my head down to sleep 
And suddenly there's a spontaneous image like right behind my forehead, which this area has connections with other abilities like clairvoyance and other things. But this image of the tinfoil just turning on the needle, it appeared right in my mind's eye. And I'd never had an experience quite like that before. And I couldn't control it. It was just there, this thing moving. And eventually I fell asleep and it faded away. But it was either the next day or the day after that when I was sitting there working with this object and it started to move, which was a clue for me that something had to change inside me before it could change out there in my reality. Some part, maybe some part of me didn't believe it was really possible or some part of me had fear about it or some part of me was just blocking it in some way. But after those weeks and months of working at it, it finally cleared that obstacle and the thing started to move. And I think it's important people hear that because a lot of people, they set, they try and on their first attempt, they're waving their hand and the thing starts to move. And they think, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. It's like, well, it could be a static charge from your hand if you're wearing a sweater or something. It could be something else. And I want people to know it took me a long time and a lot of hard work before it actually moved for me. And I, this experience happened and something cleared up. Um, and then I thought, uh, then I practiced for about a year where I could sit several feet away from this situation, from the glass dome, sit several feet away and using the technique I developed, eventually start and get it to start to move. And basically what it comes down to is using basic breathing rhythm to relax the mind and the body so that you feel as if energy is flowing and then you connect with the object with your intention, like you want it to move, paying attention to it, like looking at it with very soft eyes and feeling as if you're connected to it, you know, reducing that sense of separation from it, so, which is spiritual in a sense, that non-separateness from reality with other objects in, in our experience, like we're together in consciousness. And when the level of relaxation is really strong and when the sense of connection is really strong and then a sense of letting go, then the object starts to move. So it's beautiful that way. I, in my second book, Meditation X, Telekinesis, I rewrite Defy Your Limits, my first book, essentially into a meditation manual. So you can use telekinesis as a style of meditation because it's a little exciting to see the little object moving and you can tell that it's you doing it because as soon as you tense up, or as soon as I would tense up or get excited, it would stop. Yeah. And I would relax again and it would start going again. So there are a lot of, there's a lot of nuance to it because if you just get it going right away and it's consistent, a person is apt to say there's air moving inside the container. Or if you touch the container, you're heating up the glass, causing convection as the air movement. And that can happen. And it looks just like telekinesis. But if you do enough training over dozens or hundreds of hours, you realize the connection. And with your breathing, you can actually get it to change direction when you want it to change by shifting your level of breathing and how you use your attention. You can get it to stop and start again. The people who give up after two or three times won't experience that. Or skeptics who don't work at it won't experience that and they'll just say it's just heat and leave it at that yeah so you really got to work on it and so i ended up getting pretty good at it and i taught showed it to my meditation students and actually i was a little bit bummed out because they weren't some of them didn't weren't sure if it was real or not which is fair 
you really need to experience all of these things yourself. You shouldn't believe anyone else. Um, and some of them are like, well, I'm already meditating. I have a technique I like, so I'm not that interested. And then for a couple of them, there was the wow factor and they got interested and they did it once or twice. Um, but it's okay. But then I found another audience online, like a lot of people are really interested in this. Um, yeah. For whatever reason. You know, there's really no practical value to it unless you become an energy <laughs> healer. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's like training wheels. If you want to become a healer, an energy healer, that's a that's a form of psychokinesis or telekinesis where you are affecting another person with your intention. So yeah. that's one way where it is practical. It's also practical if you just think of developing your mind new ways because uh, synchronicities can occur. Other psychic abilities can increase. Your creativity can increase. When, when we think about the future and what we need our children to develop into as doctors and engineers and um, other kind of people who affect the world and how we do things, we need the future generations to think creatively, to think out of the box, to think of new possibilities. I mean, we already have wireless, which is a technological way of doing telekinesis or psychokinesis. Yeah. Wireless technology, that's all it is. And if we survive on this planet for another thousand years, technology will look a lot more like psychic abilities. Yeah, even I would say even a uh, hundred years. Um, you know, look where we, how far we've come in a hundred years. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, a hundred years ago they were just they had like some of the first cars. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. now we have like all these satellites in space, and uh, you know the the particle colliders and yeah. and all this. Uh, it's incredible how, how far we've come in a hundred years, and you know the actually the the technology stuff is actually a little freaky uh because you know you have artificial intelligence and, and quantum computing which I, I can't even understand what that is um so yeah i think in in an even another hundred years we're gonna just see some stuff um in technology that's incredible um but i like i like the aspect that um you're talking about uh, you know, you can use this almost as like something to open your mind, right? Like you can, once you, you do something like that and you experience it for yourself, um, that almost acts as an, uh, a catalyst in some senses for an awakening, you know, and you don't even have to say like, oh, it's, you know, towards enlightenment, you know, it, it's, you know, awakens your, your perception, your reality to, to something greater. Um, and, uh, you know, I actually had something similar, you know, I was doing something similar with CE5, right. Cause mm -hmm. for me, that was something you can show people and it could ob objectively occur, right. Mm -hmm. It's something that you could do and demonstrate and there could be witnesses to, and they can see it and be like, oh, you know, and that really, for a lot of people, that's almost, um, Again, it could, it could, it's like a catalyst to a, a, an awakening experience because they are totally aware of this kind of like whole new reality. You have to like take a step back and um, kind of question everything that you thought you knew when you have an experience like this. Um, so, you know, I, I'm definitely interested in, in uh, trying the, uh, the, the telekinesis exercises that you put out. 
uh, I, I'm really glad you did it. And I, I think it's so awesome. You put out all these books. It's like, that's, it's like a really, uh, <laughs> could be like a training course. Um, do you, do you do any kind of specific meditation for the, for the telekinesis exercises? Well, the, the breathing technique is the meditation because it relates to how you work with your mind. So, yeah. you know, anyone who's heard the word pranayama understands that physical breath and subtle breath and consciousness are all intimately connected. So it's a process of just relaxing deeper and deeper. You inhale, hold the breath in, exhale completely, squeezing it out slowly, holding the breath out. And at the top and the bottom, when you're holding the breath in, you're sending your intention up and you can feel a pressure inside, but it's not painful. It's just a subtle pressure. And then as you exhale, you hold it out and you can keep your attention up here. And it's interesting because it's at the period when you're holding the breath in or out, often when you're working with the object, that it'll stop or reverse direction. And then when you exhale slowly, you release the breath, it might actually speed up. So there's this interesting thing about the breath and your energy and how it's affecting the environment around you. Now, I, I used to use the word energy as if there's really energy flowing, like chi or prana or something. Yeah. But after everything I've experienced, there's a big question mark there for me because the right. sensation of energy might just be symbolic and symbolic of energy or excuse me, information. Like I think right. it all boils down even beyond energy, but it's all just information at the end of the day. All these psychic experiences are all experiences of consciousness are about the experience of information transfer. Yeah. And so I don't really know if there's a thing well, except they found scientifically, they've photographed the meridians in the body now. So they've yeah. found them. And so that's on the physical level. But when you break it down more and more into the non-physical, it's just information at the end of the day. And I've talked to scientists about the kind of telekinesis that I do. And there's the idea that I might not be affecting the piece of tinfoil directly. And this is where I bring on the idea of the third actor. So there's me, the piece of tinfoil, but there's something in between us. And when I send my intention and everything I'm doing to relax my body, I might be tapping into or communicating with this third actor. Um, and what that actor does is it changes the way the molecules of air inside the container move. Because normally in an enclosed vase or a vase, all the air is bouncing randomly. It was brownie in motion, right? And creating equal pressure in all directions, but the molecules are bouncing. But what could be happening is consciousness, and it might not be mine, it might be something bigger than us, is affecting the movement of the molecules. So some of them or enough of them start to move synchronously to push, <laughs> so they're all pushing against the tinfoil to make it move. Yeah. And then, as I, and then as I hold my breath in and change my consciousness for a few moments, those air molecules change their movement as the object stops. And then I exhale and relax, and then the molecules line up again and start pushing even faster, you know? So yeah. what's really happening here, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows, but it's interesting to me that I don't need to know how it works. It comes down to intention and shifting my level of relaxation and consciousness. So I'm drifting from beta wavelength <laughs> down to alpha, beta, and then everything else takes, takes care of itself. In some yeah weird mystical way so the, the third actor would that be something like the field consciousness that 
Is that what we're talking about? Something, right? One person might call it the field. Another person might call it God. Another person might call it higher self. Yeah, yeah. I I have to be safe and say, I don't know. Perfect. But, I, yeah. but I'm happy saying, I'm not that. And there's something bigger than me in the universe. Yeah. And it's, and it's cooperating with me. I think it's helping me. Yeah. That's what I tap into when I experience all these things. So, um, have you ever, you know, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, and there's a whole other angle too, right. Of a lot of people have connect their psychic ability with experiences with ETs or UFOs. And I've had that. Ex- I developed a lot of these things before having my first ET contacts, but, um, like Uri Geller, I think yeah. he's completely genuine. I think he's the real deal that most people don't know and they, they can easily read his biography or his autobiography. I like the one by Andrea Puharich. That's a great book. And you go to Uri Geller's website. You can read his books for free on his website. When he was a kid, he was in a garden across the street and he had an encounter with a light being. And that's when his psychic abilities happened. Yeah. So there's a whole other angle. Is this third thing involved at all with the ETs or maybe they're just other beings who also we're all under the same canopy yeah 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 <laughs> I think and and you know if you want to get really deep you know uh you can get into Jacques Vallée and you know he in his book The Invisible College he um talks about this guy Dr. X who is a, a medical doctor in in France and he had the same kind of thing. He got hit with this beam of light from a UFO. And this guy was, again, he's not like, you know, he's a doctor, he's very skeptical beforehand, kind of regular, I guess, conventional person. And after he had this experience, and he actually had this, the um, marks from this beam of light uh, that were studied, um, Jacques Vallée, he, he looked very closely at this case for many years. And um, after that experience, this gentleman, Dr. X, uh, had a spiritual awakening and also started displaying psychic phenomenon, right? And, um, and it's like, did the, is it, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? And I think um, Uri Geller may have said the same thing, but there's a question as to, you know, were these abilities kind of just woken up due to uh, contact and they were already innate or did they somehow develop in that circumstance? And that, you know, that's a huge question. Uh, it's funny, actually, I'm engaging the phenomenon. Uh, last week I had uh, Jeffrey Mishlove. So we, we actually talked about Ari Geller and we talked about the book and, um, and, uh, we talked about Ted Owens, who was the PK man, who same thing. He had these contact experiences and, you know, he, he was a bit of an extreme case, but again, he was doing different PK uh, psychokinetic or telekinetic demonstrations and UFO sightings and all that kind of mixed together. Um, so that's, that's fascinating. And, you know, again, getting back to Jacques Vallée, he, he talks about the, the potential for, ufos or what we call ufos today but in the past have been called fairies and all these other mystical creatures being something of like a a, um, a thermometer or a, a control system 
somehow uh, it's almost as if like the, the, the UFO or UAP are actual some kind of program that is assisting our evolution or, con you know, controlling it in a way or, you know, guiding it. Um, that's, that's, again, that's very meta in a sense. Um, and I, when I, when I listen to Jacques Vallée, I, I think of it as, um, I don't want to say metaphorical, but I think of a lot of what he says as a thought experiment. You know, he's not saying this is actually what's going on, but he's proposing these ideas. And a lot of the ideas that he proposes are really kind of ahead of their time. You know, he was talking about this stuff in like the seventies and stuff. And it's just like, you know, he went from being an ETH extraterrestrial hypothesis guy to interdimensional and, you know, a hypothetical uh, simulated control, you know, experience and all this. So he had all these different models. Um, so it's fascinating that um, it's kind of all, all these things correlate in a sense. Um, but, um, you know, getting to some of your other stuff now, your, um, it, your, your newest book, what is, what's mindsight? mindsight? Yeah. What, yeah. hit us with that, man. What is that about? <laughs> well, so I, I think I, the best way to start out is ask the viewers, did you see that movie, Superhuman, The Invisible Made Visible, created by yes. Caroline Corey? So yes. a lot of that features those kids wearing the blindfolds who they can play games, they can read books, they can do all sorts of awesome things. And there are a lot of videos on YouTube of other kids doing these things. So it's an ability that children can can do really easily. Some of them can learn it in a matter of hours, if not days, um, where they can just see the environment around them without using their eyes. And adults can do it too. And it's not new. It's definitely not new. I know that in the Indonesian military trains people, train soldiers to do this. Um, there are two books written within the last century. <laughs> One, the original was in French and then written in English. The other one's written in English, uh, Seeing Without Eyes. I can't remember the titles right now while I'm talking yeah. to you, but, um, but if you go on Amazon and look for Seeing Without Eyes, you'll find these two classical books written of, of doctors who are working to train people, adults, to do this. And for them, it was a long process. And if you go on Facebook and just look up Rob Freeman and Wendy Gallant, they have a wonderful Facebook, they have two Facebook pages. In Rob's page, you can find a training partner as an adult to work on seeing things with your blindfold. And Wendy's group also talks about that, but they also talk about other consciousness experiences. And they both have YouTube channels. So I would encourage anyone interested in this, get to know Rob and Wendy because uh, they're a great example of adults who have trained themselves to do this really well. They've been training for, I think, at least four years. And they inspired me to write this book. Also because I trained myself before COVID in this ability. And I'm still a beginner, but I have enough taste of it that I thought I, I wanna share this in the way I share information, which is writing books. And the book is an instruction manual to take people from seeing colors to contrast between black and white, and then picking up shapes, letter numbers, and then letters and short words. Um, and in the book, I'm very clear that I can't even do these latter stages, but if someone starts where I've, what I've experienced and they keep going and there's a step-by-step -step instruction, what you do every day, you'll get there. And this is based off of everything else I've read and people I've met and talked to. Um, and it's really, 
there are two, I propose, you know, I include two modes or two, two hypotheses of how this works. So either the skin has a way of perceiving information or perceiving light, and it's actually the skin, because there, there are instances in the past where people would use hypnosis to convince themselves that the cheeks could see. So maybe there's something about the skin that can perceive or that it is purely a consciousness event and it's really nothing other than clairvoyance and i don't mean that to belittle it i'm saying it is clairvoyance which is a big yeah. deal yeah and the reason why i include both formats is because for some people it might be easier to believe that it's their skin and yeah. that's a doorway in because belief is paramount in any yeah, of these yeah. abilities yeah yeah you got to clear out any doubt about it to, for it to happen for you generally unless it's spontaneous and then you just have it yeah. for someone learning, giving, letting them know that it's okay. If you think it's your skin and approach it from that way, then it'll work. If you think it's pure consciousness, then go for it. Yeah. Plenty of evidence that it is just consciousness because I've experienced this and Rob and Wendy and others talk about this. You can do this in a dark room, like pitch black yeah. in the light, but you can still determine what color card you're looking at with a blindfold in a dark room, your mind can still know what's going on there. Also, when people do this, uh, they can do it in different rooms. So the light isn't going through the door. Like this is not about light anymore. Yeah. This is about, this is a mental event. Of course, in the book, I propose that, you know, the human brain, the physical brain has to work with non-physical consciousness. And that's yeah. the truth for any psychic ability or perceiving UFOs in the sky. We might have to talk about the caudate nucleus article that you. Oh, you read it. You read it. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. And, and I think it links into any psychic ability. The, the idea yeah. that the physical brain and non-physical consciousness work together for you to consciously experience or witness certain things. So this training system, I think mine or anybody else's, comes down to applying yourself in training over time so that your physical brain can grow the neural connections to understand this information coming in in a new way because of your intention. You know, and it's, it's not that different from, there, there are mechanical devices on the market today to help people who can't see. So people who are blind, um, who are visually impaired, I'm not up on what's the most politically way of, correct way of saying it, but visually impaired people can buy this device a little computer you wear the glasses it has a camera on it and it connects to a computer that connects to this thing you put in your tongue and the computer translates the visual images from the camera into sensations that your tongue feels and your brain learns to interpret the sensations of the tongue into visual imagery yeah so i think when someone is learning to use their consciousness or their skin to perceive they're really training their brain to translate that information from those inputs into visual imagery. Yeah. And some yeah. people, you know, they work and work and work at it. I stopped training myself because I got COVID and I was under immense amounts of stress and I had to deal with life and grad school and stuff. And really stress is, in my experience, it's a training killer. <laughs> Yeah. When life is hitting you hard, it's really tough to keep going with some of this stuff. It's time to take a break and wait for life to settle down and continue your training. So I'm starting to train again now. Things are sort of evened out. And I'm training my friends in Denver, and they're, they're doing really great. 
Um, so, but again, I wrote the book so they don't have to depend on a person to, to teach them. Although working with a partner, a group is great. Getting advice from people is great. But if you wanna to go to a training program, there's like a handful of them around the world. They're like a week long, typically costing several thousands of dollars. And I understand that people, the teachers are giving their time, their experience. So there's a value to that. But I thought for someone who can't afford it or they can't fly to another country or they're a private person, they'd rather train by themselves. They can use this book and it gives yeah. them all the instructions. And it's connected to my website which has downloadable meditations. Cause again, it comes down to, it's just meditation. Yeah. It's a secret yeah. way of getting people to meditate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's funny because if you, if we look at the old texts in, in Buddhism, like Buddha goes as the um, yeah. path of purification that we were talking about before the interview. Yeah. The Sudhimaga. There are instructions in there for the divine eye or the light casino. And you use yes. that. For basically telepathy or for seeing things in another location so this, this is and it's just meditation yeah yeah and uh it's so funny uh daniel ingram he created a website called fire casino mm -hmm. and it's all about you know it's because he has you know said yeah in the sudi maga and stuff a lot of the powers are attached to these casinas, right? Uh, these jonic uh, concentration exercises are like the basis for the powers and the abilities um, in a lot of cases, at least in the Buddhist texts. And um, he he said, you know, uh, you know, they've done fire casino retreats where they're doing like ten hours of fire casino a day for like fourteen days or something, and. You know, once you get up to like the 70 hours, 100 hours, you know, depending on the person, like things get really intense, you know. Um, so that's to me, that's fascinating. And I actually wanted to start uh, the, the training in the fire casino and, uh, and see how it transfers and how it relates to some of the stuff, because I like to, you know, experience and, uh, and, and experiment with these different things again, because even though it's like, yeah, I've had these experiences and I kind of know this stuff. It's still, every time you experience one of these different um, kind of phenomena, phenomenology aspects, it almost like wakes up a part of you like, oh, wow, this is real, you know? Um, so um, have you ever, have you ever, I want to say I saw you do it in a video, um, but did, have you ever seen the, um, the, like the quantum spoon bending? Yes. Yeah. And I've taught spoon bending and I've got a couple of videos and I still get emails from people. They watch my video and they're doing it at home with their kid. Yeah. And the kid, the kid does it. No problem. Just, and then, yeah. Just, just, and it's funny because the videos and in the classes I've had, it's usually forks and spoons. That mm -hmm. in my book, Signal and Noise at the back, I have some photos of my friends. And, you know, one time they came over to my place and one of my friends is a middle-aged woman of average strength like she doesn't work out she's a yeah. middle-aged person she's petite she's short and i gave her a steel bar it was like a maybe quarter inch steel rod and we were doing the spoon bending with people and we also i thought for kicks let's um watch a yuri geller video and there's a video of him with, with people getting a soccer ball to move we thought just for an experiment, when they yell, when they they were going to scream move or something like that, we're yeah. going to yell bend. 
Yeah. So we're sort of like overlaying two different things. And she did her thing and the steel bar just boop. Just oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And I think that day she did it twice or someone else did it twice. And also um, I've taught, you know, I can't say I taught them. I give them the technique and they, they did it, which is yeah. great. That, you know, those pegboard hooks you can buy at Home Depot. Yeah. They're steel. They're like six, seven or eight inches long and they're thick. And I've tried to bend it with all my strength. Can't do it. Um, but with my friends, I've got it to bend a little bit, but I've two friends bent it wow. just like yeah. that. And they said it felt like butter. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, like I did it. On, yeah. I did it a few times just with spoons that like were, were tough to bend and then they, they just actually bent. And I mean, it's, it's exciting too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I recall somewhere hearing that they, they analyzed some of those materials that were bent before and there was some kind of weird uh, magnetic uh, effect to them. Um, I'm trying to, I can't remember where I heard that. I remember there was a guy who was, who was teaching it. Uh, I want to say his name, his name was Ang. Uh, I can't remember. Um, that's, but that's where I first heard of it. And this guy was, you know, he was teaching it and he had some, prepared some materials for it and maybe i'm, tr- I'm trying to think if uh claude swanson also uh, had written about it in one of his books oh, um, probably yeah he's, his books are great they're like books, literally yeah. college like textbooks they're fat incredible work mm-hmm. um you know from any, any kind of metaphysical perspective you're coming from those books or must reads are fascinating yeah. i only read through half of one and kind of like parsed through the rest of it um yeah. but they're yeah they're massive <laughs> but uh, well, i think earlier you were trying to think of jack hawk is that who you were talking about oh jack hawk jack hawk so he's yeah. the one he had the metals analyzed and it seemed like in some of them some of the molecules or atoms were just gone but they didn't exhibit the same fractures that would normally occur because of heat or because of mechanical strain. So he did the analysis because he was an engineer or physicist. But he's he's the father of yeah. the PK party of the spoon bending. Yeah, the parties. spoon bending parties. Yeah, and that's yeah. actually in uh, in uh, John Alexander's book Reality Denied. Uh, at the end of the book, they're talking about the spoon bending parties, and he goes through some of the exercises and how to do it. And, it's fascinating because it's not just like a, it's one person. Like you have all these people that are able to demonstrate it. And, uh, you know, that's incredible. I mean, you know, maybe there's some kind of weird thing where we don't understand what's happening, but either way, there's something there that's, that's, um, you know, it says something about reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, the person can have like two responses. They, they experience it and they either open up more. <laughs> they shut down and like walk away like no yeah. no i didn't see that i didn't hear that like it's like the up. same thing with the ce5 too um mm-hmm. you know it's a it's like a, a gateway into the greater reality you know contact or psychic phenomenon i i look at all these things as different kind of awakening experiences because i mean in in my own experience they've been enriching and you know uh teachable you know, moments and experiences. Um, so what do you have, do you have plans for, for another book already? <laughs> or any, Cause I, I mean, it's like every time I look back, you get a new book and I'm like, Holy crap. Yeah. 
crap, I have to start to read the other one. I know. And, you know, it's, I keep thinking I just want to leave this whole field. So I'm going to give you some personal, real personal information. Yeah. Like sometimes I feel like shutting down or sometimes I feel like I'm way too open and I just want to go away. We just have a regular life and not deal with any of this stuff. And I think I'm done writing these books. I'm, I'm done teaching and all that stuff. And sometimes it's just because I feel exhausted. It's really emotional stuff, you know, because it's, we're talking yeah. about reality and sense of self. And I feel like I've been through the the laundry with this. Like I've been, yeah, and getting, you know, skeptics and other, you know, getting hate mail that kind of thing is pretty pretty rough, and pretty sensitive. Yeah. So sometimes I feel like walking away, but but I love teaching people, even if it's not psychic stuff, just showing or sharing information. I love it. It's a passion of mine. And if I learn something new, if I figure something else out. I'll probably write about it so other people can do it for themselves because I think I'm, I still have a chip on my shoulder from the days when I was in the, those spiritual organizations yeah. where I had to give my personal power to someone. Now everything I've done is to give people their own power, like not that I had it, but to remind people you're fully in charge of yourself. Keep your power. Don't give it to someone else. And here's some instructions. And just if you do them, you can experiment with them, change them if you want, do whatever you want. It's yours and go your own way. Like that's yeah. the overall message. Like you can, you can go your own way. Yeah. Kind of song. <laughs> um, and so probably if I write more books, it'll just still be in that spirit to, to help people find their answers on their own. And it's okay if their answers are different from other people's answers. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had any kind of C5 stuff? Oh, yeah. So um, a few years ago, and I think I, I credit my out-of-body experience on lucid dream training. I started to have contact with beings sort of in the liminal state, so in a yeah. non-physical reality. had my contact there. Actually, in, in my book, Renegade Mystic, there's an artistic depiction of a sexual encounter I had with yeah. one of the beings. Because I, I, I wrote notes, I keep a journal every time I experience something and I drew this being that I had an intimate encounter yeah. with. And I, a friend of mine was an artist um, and I described it to her, I showed her my drawing and asked her to draw something so that I could show people. And so that's in the book. But then I thought, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical myself. I think I'm an open-minded skeptic. I doubt what I experienced, so I investigate it carefully. And I thought, but I, I just need more experience with these beings like was this just all a dream yeah was it just a dream or was there something <laughs> to it and at some point i was exhausted one day and i went to the botanic garden here in denver and i spent all day laying in the grass on a hill looking up at the sky and then my wife she got off work and she came and joined me and we're just laying there at the grass looking up at the sky and there something appeared this most beautiful color is like a green oh, what's the word opalescent beautiful thing way up there and then it would fade out and come back and you know and I was looking around like who, who can I show this to and strangely there's like no one around in yeah. the middle of the botanic gardens so we're just there and then 20 minutes later it was, it was gone and my wife, she's also open-minded, but she's also careful. And she's like, I'm not sure what that was. 
and that's fair. That's a sign of sanity. Meanwhile, I'm like, I think that was a UFO. Yeah. And what's strange was for me, you know, it was following these other liminal space experiences that it had. Yeah. So for me, yeah. it was connected. I was like, and for like a week after that, I felt a sense of grace. Yeah. Like I'd been touched in some way. It felt wonderful. But I needed more. <laughs> yeah, so of course. I think it was in, <laughs> so I think it was in 2019, I joined a group um, with Ricardo Gonzalez. He's from oh, Florida. yeah. Wow. And Paula Harris from StarWorksUSA.com. Yeah. She hosted him. So he held a weekend in Crestone. And I went with about 50 people. And we, we had lectures during the day and at night. We did sky watching. And they showed up. Yeah, and he taught us to ask them to verify. So they we saw the flash bulb and we yeah. asked, please, please verify. You can do it again. Yeah, yeah. And then some other thing which is too long to describe here, but something else occurred. And um, and then actually, I was with them again like three or four weeks ago. He came back to Creston. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And it yep. was like it's palpable. So it, and it's, and these are things, I'm going to give you an example of how this is all connected. I knew I was going to the Ricardo Gonzalez retreat that three nights before I had a dream. And in this dream, this man is coming down on a parachute and landing nearby on the grass. And in the dream, I've sort of walk over and say, Hey, good job. I pat him on the back. And in the dream, I understood him to be, he'd come down from space like he was on a space mission and this is just how he came back oh and i woke up thinking oh i had this dream because i'm about to go on this ufo sighting weekend and the man represents an et or something or a connection to space and so here i am in crestone in real life a few days later and it's we're on an afternoon break and i'm walking through town and crestone is a really tiny town there's not one electric stoplight in town it's just stop signs like three yeah. of them and I'm walking on the edge of town, just minding my own business. And I've been to Creston many times. I lived there for a year, many years ago. And I see the shadow come over me. And I look up and there's a paraglider coming down no. really quickly, <laughs> landing in someone's backyard like a block away. No way. And I that thought, so you know, awesome. the whole time, the whole time I thought my dream was because I just creating this idea connected to ETs. But yeah. the dream was a precognitive dream. Yeah. I've seen this paraglider. And I've all the times I've been there, I've never seen, I didn't even know people did paragliding in Crestone. Yeah. But there's this paraglider coming down right there. And um and here's can I give you another dream example? Yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. So this just happened a few days ago because uh, I've been working with some of my friends here on the mindsight stuff and I've been training myself. This is just to show how everything is interconnected. I had a dream a few nights ago that I won the lottery, the big lottery. And my friends and I, we used remote viewing as a team. And we won the pick three lottery, which is a really small lottery, but we won it twice using yeah. remote viewing. But so I had this dream that I won the big lottery and I felt elated, not probably the way anyone feels that they won millions yeah. of dollars. And I woke up and I'm thinking, am I gonna, I'm gonna go buy a ticket. <laughs> I didn't win by the way. <laughs> but that morning, I get an email from someone who I know through Facebook. I don't even know. We're not even, I don't think we're Facebook friends, but we've communicated before. And she emailed me um, about my insight. 
and about how she was really good at using her dreams to predict she called it cash three and cash four. So I think she's outside of Colorado where they have cash three and cash four. But she wins or she gets really close interpreting her dreams. And the night yeah. before I dreamt about winning the lottery. And so I told her, it's so strange that you emailed me today because I had this dream. And then you, and that morning or that early day drawing, she had won it. Yeah. And I, and I replied to her email and then she writes me back at the end of the night. She won a second time for the evening drawing. Yeah. You know, so that I had the dream the night before, she emails me, I email her back, and she wins twice that day because yeah. of her dream interpretation. You know, it's all tied up in a knot that yeah. I don't understand. But all well, these things are connected. There's your, there's your next book, Synchronicities. <laughs> right, Synchronicities. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's another yeah. fascinating topic. And, and you know, mm -hmm. I don't want to get too much into my stuff now, but... Um, I had I made a video on engaging the phenomenon called dream time contact, mm -hmm. and it it goes into it, it all those elements just blend into one thing, and uh, again it's just something that blew my mind uh, because it um, ended with a daytime sighting of this fireball. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's just it had synchronicities, uh, lucid dreaming, and then it ended with that sighting, and that was the one that was one event of several events that occurred um so it's just fascinating um are you familiar with eric uh wargo's work mm -hmm. okay wow dude um check out his books uh, there's two books time loops and uh the other one i want to say it's it's his new book it just came out um it's got like a beautiful cover and everything mm -hmm. i think it has to I think it's called like precognitive dreaming and it's all about that. And it's, again, I think you'll find it really fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, but um, let's, let's end it there. Cause we, I mean, I could just sit here and, and talk to you all day, man. You're just like one of those guys, <laughs> uh, you know, you have such a, a, a kind of like, you got your fingers and everything, man. You got the back jack of all and, trades, master of none. <laughs> yeah. I, I can, I can empathize with that um yeah. but uh it's, it's been great having you on and uh i i do want to actually have you over on engaging the phenomenon as well so let's coordinate for that and sure. dude if we can ever plan to uh do a ce5 or any of these trainings together at some point man i i, I definitely look forward to that yeah um, that'd be great yeah man it'd be thank so you awesome so much. yeah this is yeah. great i really appreciate your invitation yeah. and, and, and uh do you have any kind of um, parting words for the audience? That all, all these experiences are available to you if you really want them. Um, you just need some instructions. And I have some, but many people out there are offering instructions and it's up to you to find the ones that attract you the most and inspire you the most and are easy to use. And then it's about each person dedicating the time and energy and in a sense, all you really have to do is start meditating on a regular, choose whatever technique works for you. They all come down to the same thing, like quieting the mind and developing concentration, relaxing, and things will naturally open up. So get off social media, stop watching TV. <laughs> don't, you don't really need, to, you don't need to rely on substances at all for any of this. Right. I think a person should, <laughs> um, but it's all there and you don't have to give your personal power away. People are lining up to become gurus and priests and 
thought leaders and like they know truth, they know the truth you're looking for. Well, be careful, you know, <laughs> yeah. keep, keep your power. You can trust them. You can follow them. Keep your power. Don't give it away. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for yeah. being the first guest on Meta Perspective. And again, I definitely want to have you over on Engaging Phenomenon to talk more on the, those kind of subjects. Um, but again, thank you so much. And I hope to speak to you again soon. You're welcome. Okay. Right, take care, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.